Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Poor Unfortunate Sequels podcast. This evening, I will be your host. I am Mandy. Gatlin will not be joining us today because this is a kind of a different episode. We're doing a little experimentation here. Um, this is the sp- our special spinoff episode where I talk about horror sequels with a very special guest star and joining me today as my very special guest star is my good friend David K. David, are you there? I am here and I'm so excited about spooky movies. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about the, about yourself? Sure, why not? Um, well, I met Mandy many and many a year ago doing uh, an unrehearsed type of Shakespeare here in the Milwaukee area. Um, I am a data analyst on government, on contract with the federal government, and I won't say any more about that. Uh, director, writer, producer, actor, musician, general bon vivant, and guy that loves Mr. Rogers deeply and truly. That is my whole, my whole description. Well, now I'm extra excited to have you on the show. Um, so today, <laughs> we're going to be talking about a... Uh, a 1987 American horror film entitled Jaws the Revenge. I mean, really, shouldn't we refer to it as a horror classic? Because we want to make sure that word has no meaning anymore. Yes. Horror classic Jaws the Revenge. That is the fourth entry in the Jaws series. And you could call it the third since this movie completely skips over anything we learned in Jaws 3. It is their Jaws 4 is their their redo for Jaws um, 3 and this is directed by Joseph Sargent. Uh, it stars Lorraine Gary, which is the one and only returning actress. Oh, well, that's not true. The only returning main cast member from the first Jaws movie we have the last starfighter Lance Guest. Mario oh, Van Peebles yes. and Michael Caine. <laughs> Ma- Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Master Bruce, why do we fight the sharks? <laughs> so, uh, and there was going to be one other. Murray Hamilton was going to be in it, but he passed away. Unfortunately. Oh, that is true. Oh, Murray. Maybe, maybe it was for the best. Probably for the best. <laughs> uh, so before we go into talking about Jaws 4, The Revenge, in depth. Um, I heard a little rumor that you're kind of a fan of the first Jaws movie. Uh, I, You know, if push comes to shove, I suppose it might be in my top uh, one of all time. Really? <laughs> oh, it is my absolute favorite movie. No contest, nothing else comes close. It, it's definitely up there for me, um, but I've only been watching it for about four years now. It is our Fourth of July uh, tradition in our household to watch That's Jaws. A great tradition. And um, but you've been watching it for a lot longer, so I felt it would only be appropriate that I give you the space to talk about the absolute pop culture phenomenon that is the first Jaws movie. Oh well, I can certainly do that. I Jaws is. A masterpiece. It is the first major film directed by Steven Spielberg, and it's edited by edited by the absolutely brilliant Werner Fields. Um, oh, we have that score. Oh my God, that score. Um, oh my God, why did I just go up on his name? The greatest score writer of all time. Is it John Williams? Yes, I can't believe I just forgot John Williams' name. <laughs> oh my God, but it's starring uh, Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint. Richard Dreyfuss as Hooper, Lorraine Gray as Ellen Brody, Murray Hamilton is the single worst mayor of all time. And Jaws was also the beginning of the summer blockbuster film. They made this movie for $9 million in what was in 1975, I want to say. Yeah. Did they make and, their money back? Oh, they made $470.7 million, Mandy. Jesus Christ. So they did all right. Um, because Spielberg had only done one feature film prior to that, Sugarland Express. And other than that, he'd been doing TV shows and shorts. So this gave him a little more freedom, um, considering in his next four films, three of them were Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think he's doing okay. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of Steven Spielberg, I think. Yeah, I, he's been around. And part of the brilliance of the original Jaws 
and part of the brilliance of early work of directors like Steven Spielberg is no one cared who the director was, and they didn't want to give him more money. They did double the original uh, budget, they went from $4.5 to $9 million, but they had to get creative and work around, do workarounds. Every night, uh, the scriptwriter and Spielberg were staying up late rewriting pages while he was jumping over the Burnerfield, Burnerfields to edit. Um, the shark kept breaking, yeah, right. which is why in Jaws, you don't see that much of the shark. You see the camera moving through and representing the shark. And it's one of the most perfectly terrifying shots of all time with that John Williams It's, I mean, what could be more iconic than that? Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, this movie directly leads to Spielberg's Jurassic Park. It's him trying to do the same thing with the dinosaurs. I, I definitely agree. So I can tell by the enthusiasm in your voice that you have many feelings about this movie. I have so many feelings about this movie. And we else, Mandy and I were talking earlier say the great song featured it, Show Me the Way to Go Home. We're not singing. It goes into the public domain next year. Next year. But watch the movie. Listen to the song. It's great. It's a bunch of drunk guys singing. Yes. Who doesn't want that? And maybe we'd be able to afford the, the rights to it, except that this is a very fledgling podcast, you guys. If you want us to to sing songs that are not in the public domain, go rate us four stars on Apple Pod, or five stars on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. Or make checks directly payable to Mandy Veter. Yes. I do got 20 bucks in my wallet, if that helps. Would that cover the rights? Probably not even close. Oh. But hey, you know, we have to start somewhere. Yeah. We, we can do um, Jaws 3D next year, and then we can sing it. Perfect. I cannot wait. Oh, I can't. I had never seen any of the sequels prior to this, and, and it was very intentional. Yeah, and you could say maybe it was a little mean of me to like knowing how deeply you love the first Jaws movie to be like, "Hey, do you want to just destroy your <laughs> <laughs> everything you hold dear for the sake of now, my amusement?" Now, was it mean or was it just funny? I was amused. I, I we um for the listeners uh. Unlike previous episodes, uh, David and I actually watched, had found time in our schedule to watch this together and kind of uh, message our live reactions as they showed up. And, and, and it was it was delightful. I loved hanging out with you. And of course, making sure who knows, watching it together virtually through quarantine because we are responsible and don't want anyone to get sick. No. Except maybe the people who made Jaws the Revenge. You know... <laughs> No, I still don't wish that on them. Well, I think a lot of them are dead already anyway. Uh, or at least their careers are. I know the director <laughs> died in December 2014. And the director of Jaws the Revenge was not Steven Spielberg, was it? No, and in fact, Mandy, it's funny you should mention directors. I brought a little game for you to play. Oh, man. Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting game. I'm going to list some directing credits, and you have to guess whether they directed Jaws... Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, or Jaws the Revenge, okay. based on their other credits. Okay. All right. Um, so someone is primarily TV, but also recorded 1980s, or directed in 1980s Somewhere in Time, and 1984's Supergirl. Which Jaws movie was that? Um, Jaws 2. Oh, very nice. I'm going to mispronounce it. Uh, Gino Swark. Okay. Very, very good. All right. Um, this director also did a movie that I enjoy, The Taking of the Pelham 123. Hmm. Was it because I just looked up the director today? Was it, <laughs> was it Joseph Sargent of Jaws the Revenge? It was Joseph Sargent of Jaws the Revenge. All right. What about someone who directed nothing else ever, but was the production designer on Jaws, Jaws 2 and Escape from New York? Hmm. Was that the director of, or was it uh, Jaws 3D? Yes, ma'am. Joe Albus. All right. And then there's another one who directed... Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Lincoln, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Amistad, Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, <gasps> and Schindler's List. Oh my god. I gotta think about this one. Yeah, it, it's a toughie. Is it Jaws for NES, maybe? It's Jaws for... Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, it, that's clearly Steven Spielberg. Of course. I just like showing the disparity between those movies. Because <laughs> it's hilarious. And one of them never got to direct again and never did anything before that. Yeah. I mean... Actors in Jaws the Revenge have directed more movies than the director of Jaws 3. That, that, we'll that Mario... That's actually going to come into a little... But when we get to fun facts, I have a fun yes. fact about Mario Van Peebles. Mm. 
which we both agreed I think was one of the best characters in the movie. Oh my god, absolutely. There's a reason. Uh, much for better that. than the shark, and we'll talk about that too. Okay. I have in my notes a section that says, "Why is it bad?" <laughs> oh, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, I know. Will it's your show? I'm gonna let you guide me through. I just had my little diversion with our game. <laughs> that was a beautiful game. I loved it. I did a good I'm job. Sure you did perfect. I am going to will gold stars through your computer screen. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I feel so loved. Well, there's a reason for that. You're a delight. Ah, well, <laughs> to just going back a little bit to Joseph Sargent, who directed yes. Jaws: The Revenge. Mm-hmm. A few of his other credits include uh, Burt Reynolds' White Lightning, Ooh. the Gregory Peck biopic MacArthur. The horror anthology uh, Nightmares, which I haven't seen, surprisingly. And as you said, his most popular feature film was Subway Thriller, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Which is a totally fun movie. I've never seen him. There's there's a remake and an original, right? There is a remake. Uh, You can probably find the original on Tubi, the free streaming service, where you watch a bunch of ads and see terrible movies. Oh, okay. It's, It's where I saw Chud for the first time. But he actually had a, I'd still call it a semi-successful directing career up until he made Jaws the Revenge. And then he kind of was stuck doing uh, TV movies and television Mm -hmm. for the rest of his days. Yes. And I know we absolutely hold movies and television at different levels, though less so in modern society. But I will defend the television directors till the day I die because my degree's in television. Yes. And he directed Warm Springs, which was a very good TV movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, just the difference between directing TV movies in the 70s and 80s and directing, say, Game of Thrones yeah. or things like that nowadays. It's it's different. But it's just broadening the chances for directors to really do something wonderful. Yeah. So, we're about... To, did you have anything that you wanted to add about uh, Joseph Sargent before I scoot right into the movie synopsis? You know what? I've been waiting for you to scoot, so scoot away, my friend. Okay. It's Jaws the Revenge. It's 1987. Martin Brody has died from a heart attack. Oh my goodness. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Martin's widow, Ellen, lives in Amity, close to her younger son, Sean, and his Mm -hmm. fiancée, Tiffany. Sean is now a police deputy working in the same department as his Mm -hmm. father, that his father worked in before his death. Played by the great Mitchell Anderson, of <laughs> we'll discuss his credit, of course. <laughs> well, <it's>, yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. We had some very snarky comments during the, the watch. So the movie in the first, I'd say, ten minutes, poor Sean um, becomes the first victim of uh, this shark family's clear vendetta against the Brodies, and he dies trying to fetch a log from the water for some reason. God, that old trope. And uh, his screams for help are ignored because people are getting hardcore into Christmas. Yeah, and there's like all band and brass and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Drums. So after his death, um, Michael, his wife Carla, and their five-year-old daughter, Taya, played by... Um, hold on one second. I have to. I had a brain fart, so I have to... I forgot John Williams' name. You get a pass on everything. Okay. So, double back. His five-year-old daughter, Taya, played by the late Judith Barcy, which is a very sad story in itself. Um, I'm Scott and Pacha. Yes. Uh, They come to Amity for the funeral, and then Ellen goes to the Bahamas with them because Michael has to get back to work because in this movie, he is a marine biologist. In Jaws 3D, he worked as a... uh, He was an employee at SeaWorld. And was also Dennis Quaid. But that movie does not count. <laughs> I saw like 20 minutes of that uh, with a high school girlfriend and that was enough. Yeah. No, that was a terrible, terrible movie. And I I invite you all to skip it. So as they're, they're flying their plane back to the Bahamas, we meet Hoagie, played by Michael Caine. <laughs> And uh, they start a little bit of a flirtation. So you have like this subplot where she's getting over her grief by um, by going after the by, Michael Caine. Yeah, by attempting to climb Mount Caine. <laughs> 
So in the other plot, Michael uh, and Jake, Jake is played by the wonderful Mario Van Peebles, mm, uh, <laughs> are studying a shark and they want to do research on this great white shark. And Jake is very aggressive about making Michael do research on great white sharks, even though he is just getting over his brother's death by great white shark. And the money they're being given is to study uh, sea snails. Yes. Because that's a thing. Yeah, totally a thing. So during the course of this movie, there are more shark attacks. And Ellen is, I guess it's implied she's psychically linked to the shark attacks. She can feel it when Mm. um, this is happening. And this is apparently the same shark that uh, killed her youngest son at the beginning of the film has followed them from what new york to the bahamas yeah it's basically the shark equivalent of homeward bound oh yeah the incredible journey (laughs) (laughs) ellen you left me i'm coming for you ellen i want to give you a hug with my teeth (laughs) i don't know why that's the shark voice but it is you know i was also twirling my fins but no one can see that because this is an audio medium Aw. (laughs) so a few other things happen um, Ellen keeps going out with Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine. Uh, everyone keeps having their weird nightmares. And then after, um, Taya's floaty, her banana boat is attacked by the shark. Ellen decides to board Jake's boat and track down the shark, intending to kill it to save her family, which is very interesting. And we'll come into the trivia in a little bit. So... Michael and Jake and Hoagie search for Ellen. Um, Ellen finally tells everyone that she believes that the shark that killed Sean is hunting her family because that's completely reasonable. And it ends, and the movie ends up with uh, the shark. How does the shark die again? Um, well, who's seen The Little Mermaid? Yes. They Ursula the shark. They do. They Ursula the shark with the boat. And then it goes boom. And electrified him, and for a while we thought that poor, precious Mario Van Peebles had been killed by the shark, but he's okay, you guys. Just bloody. Just, just a little bloody. It's still good. Just, still good. Just bloody. So, that is, I think that that about covers it, and that was a quick synopsis, considering yeah. the movie oh. felt like it was five hours long. Uh, four and a half, four and maybe. A, that's the thing I've noticed about um, the Jaws franchise in general once you get away from the first movie uh the second one was fine the third one was terrible this one like we have feelings on it but they all seem to just drag from two to four yes which Uh, before we really get into this i think there's an important thing we need to address about casting uh remind me what is the name of the actor that plays michael brody lance guest Greetings, Starfighter! Oh, You've yeah. been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zul and the Kodan Armada. It's the last Starfighter, and from now on, Lance Guest is only known as the last Starfighter. Which is funny, because we're just getting into the cast list. Mm-hmm. Mm. I just need to get into that, because it makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about that a lot. Every reference to him was the last Starfighter. The last Starfighter, Starfighter which... That was that was his claim to fame because after this movie he just didn't get any roles. And Last Starfighter was an integral film of my youth. Yeah. And it still holds up. It's dumb, but it holds up. I've never seen The Last Starfighter. Oh, it's it's also the final film of Robert Preston. So if you want to see him do his last little 76 trombone song singing, it's your chance. Ooh, okay. So All right. Sorry, interrupting the host. Terrible. No, it's not. It's not. This is banter. Banter? <laughs> I hardly know her. What does that even mean? <laughs> it means nothing. David, where did you find this guy, Mandy? Honestly. <laughs> You're a delight. You're a delight. You're a delight. Uh, I, let's talk about the cast list. Yeah, let's talk about this cast. Who is in this movie? Well, if I had to guess, I'd say Lorraine Gray is Ellen Brody. Yes. As uh, she actually came out of retirement um, for this movie and a lot of people feel it was done as a favor for her husband, who I believe produced all of these films. Sid Sheinberg, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I will say in the first movie, I thought she fit in very well. I thought she did a great job in the first movie. Yes. 
she's not untalented, but in this one and having not acted in a long time, it shows limited range. Yeah, and it makes me kind of sad that she's like, okay, I'll come out of retirement for this. And then she won the Razzie for Worst Actress this year, that yeah. year. And I don't think she, she wasn't good, but she wasn't like movie ruining that. No. No, the scripts took care of that. Yes. <laughs> So we have Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody. We have the last Starfighter as Michael Brody. Mm-hmm. We have Mario Van Peebles as Jake, who just exudes sexual chemistry with the last Starfighter this whole movie. We seriously were probably both just chanting, kiss, 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 kiss. kiss. It's like, it, it's palpable. Yeah, like if they did, this movie would have gone from like a D minus to a B plus. Because mm-hmm. we could just skip to that scene and be like, those two. That Starfighter Mario Van Peebles. Ooh, girls, get it. <laughs> Sorry, half of my bisexuality just came screaming forward in the weirdest way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we have Karen Young as Carla Brody. Mm-hmm. Um, his uh, Michael Brody's just okay, that's fine, wife. <laughs> we have Judith Barcy as Taya Brody, their daughter. Mm-hmm. We have Michael Kine. Michael Caine. As Hoagie Newcomb. Whose <laughs> character is oddly similar to Michael Caine. Yes. It's almost like Michael Caine is playing Michael Caine. He really I love was. that that's the only way we can say his name. You know, he really earned that vacation to the Bahamas. He sure did. He was being the Michael Caineist. I have a perfect Michael Caine quote, but we can save that for later. Okay. You probably have the exact same quote written down. <laughs> <laughs> rounding out the rest of the cast we have lynn whitfield as louisa jake's wife we have mitchell anderson as sean brody <laughs> yeah we do we have jake his name in the opening credits is almost longer than his performance yeah that that is not a lie <laughs> we have jay mellow as young sean we have roy scheider in archival footage as chief martin brody because the writers knew they had not written a very good movie so they banked Hard on nostalgia. Yes, they did. And ooh, are we going to talk about that? <laughs> we have Cedric Scott as Clarence, Charles mm-hmm. Boleg as William, Mar- Melvin Van Peebles as Mr. Witherspoon mm-hmm. in a very short appearance. We have Mary Smith as Tiffany, Edna Bellotta as Polly, Fritzy Jan Courtney as Mrs. Taft, Cyprian R. Dube as the mayor, Lee Fierro as returning in a very brief, brief cameo as Mrs. Kittner. Which I that that whole scene was a little bizarre to me, considering um, I don't know. I just got the feeling she kind of hated the Brodies in the first movie for some reason. That kid she had. Yeah, had past tense. <laughs> had mm. William E. Marks as Deputy Lenny, and Diane Hatfield as Mrs. Ferguson. Whew. Yeah, and I have to say this really tells you a lot about the movie because I. I'm a movie guy. I pay a lot of attention. At least two-thirds of those character names you listed, I have no idea who they are. No, me either. None. Um. And I can guess, oh, they were probably in this scene that I vaguely remember happening. Yeah. No, a lot of this movie is a blur to me, and I've seen it oh. twice now. And I think <laughs> in the past so year. sorry. We appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> I do so much for this show. <laughs> So now that we got over the synopsis and we got over the cast list, do you have any fun trivia about this movie? Trivia? Or fun facts? Uh, well, for fun facts, can that count as the greatest Michael Caine quote of all time? Yes. So, well, first of all, I know a little bit about Michael Caine with this. He read the first line of the script and agreed to go film it because it said it's in Hawaii. Number two, he missed picking up his Oscar because he was shooting this movie. <laughs> But he has an amazing quote about this movie, and I will not impersonate Michael Caine when reading it because you understand it. I have never seen it, but by all accounts, it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. This house is terrific. <laughs> terrific. And you know what? I would do a movie like this to buy me a house. Absolutely. I would too. Like. You know what? I don't need to spend $1.5 million on the house. I'll have a house and a few extras. Yeah. Like... Like a nice house in, um, like, by the lake or something, but like not yeah. like the bougie side of the lake. No, no. So, so we were talking about how there the the 
actors had more credits to their name than the director in terms of being on the creative end of things mm-hmm. and behind the scenes. Did you know Mario Van Peebles wrote his own part for this movie? I didn't actually know that, but his dialogue wasn't terrible, so that would explain it. That really explains a lot. That He was in a completely different movie this whole time. Yeah, he was, and his movie was better. Yes. <laughs> so the, yeah, He was one of the best performances in the whole thing. It, it truly was, and I'll say it again, like, he had such good chemistry with Last Starfighter. Yes, seriously. Like, it, it's halfway between they're in love and they're about to, like, make out. Yeah. Or they just have the deepest, purest friendship that has ever been in life. Yes. So it could be read either way. Mandy and I just want to watch them get some Yeah. Like, the deepest, purest friendship, but, like, they're one drunken night away from mm-hmm. being like, yeah, let's try kissing. Mm-hmm. So this hey. movie, in case you didn't know by the quality of it, it was rushed into production. Wait, what? Yes, and had a very rushed pre-production to meet the summer 1987 guideline or deadline. According to I find uh, that unlikely, mm, <laughs> pretty well made. According to uh, Den of Geek, uh, they suggested the whole reason the film was made was to make up for Universal's disastrous summer 1986 slate led by the infamous Howard the Duck. Oh. Oh. So that bar was just subterranean. It was And they didn't clear that bar. (laughs) Because Howard the Duck at least is memorable for how terrible it is. Yes. This one just kind of disappears by how terrible it is. So, let's see. This movie was the first... An only Jaws film to fail in American theaters. It grossed $20,763,013 against a $20 million budget and an additional $3 million in marketing costs. But it made enough money internationally to make more than its budget back. Yeah, of course. And actually, it's funny you bring up that $23 million that was totally used for it. Um, The original Jaws cost $9 million to make. Now, of course, different times, inflation, 12-year difference. Uh, adjusted for inflation, in 1987, the original Jaws would have cost $19 million. Now, can we use that as an exact comparison? Of course we can't. Uh, Michael Caine made $1.5 million. No actors were making that much in the original Jaws. No. But it's funny realizing how money can be used so differently. Because mm-hmm. um, like the first one, they dumped a ton of movie into getting out on the water and to building the shark that broke all the time. It looks like they spent a buck fifty on this shark. This shark looks like they were about to go into the first day of set, realized they forgot to make the shark, and then went to Joanne Fabrics. Yeah, I actually have a note that's just all caps. Why does this shark look so bad? Um, if any of you are Mythbusters fans, there was an episode where they were covering myths from the movie Deep Blue Sea. And they were seeing if they could actually blow up a shark with... Uh, like black powder and stuff. And Tori Balechi carved out of foam a shark with a couple of saws and then painted it. That shark looked better than this shark. This was... I just want everyone... And Gatlin, when you're editing and when you post this, uh, could you please, because I know you like to put memes, uh, do a side-by-side of the original Jaws shark when you actually get to see it and just the back tail of uh, the shark as it's chasing Michael through the shipwreck. Yeah, and the thing is, the original one was dubbed Bruce after uh, Steven Spielberg's shark. This one, as far as I know, didn't have a name, so I'm going to call this shark Timmy. What do you call it? Timmy. 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 Little Timmy. Yeah. It's Timmy. Timmy's going to come and chew on you. <laughs> it's a very sad shark. Yeah, Timmy wants to chew on the last starfighter. I get it. Yeah. We've all been there. It's okay, Timmy. Don't be so sad. So... I have a question for you. If you had to guess, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes approval rating is on this movie? If I had to guess, I'd say 4%. 4? 4. You need to go lower. Nice. 1. Lower. Zero! Zero. It is one of the few movies to garner a 0% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Way to go, Jaws the Revenge. It also effectively killed the franchise because after this, they're like, you know, maybe, maybe Jaws is over with. 
Yeah, uh, and you know they're going to try to remake it one of these days with the CGI shark, and I will be so angry. It, it's not going to be good. Well, you know, they already had the Meg, that's close enough. So, do you know that Roy Scheider was asked to come on to this movie? Oh, yes, I do. And he was just like, that's never going to happen, you morons. <laughs> and I feel like the fact that he said no... And probably, like, in a not-so-delicate way is the reason why, like, they bank on his archival image so hard. Yeah, because he loved the original. Do you know about how he got cast in the original movie? I don't. Okay, so Spielberg was casting, and he was having the hardest time casting Chief Brody. He, like, approached six six different actors, and they're like, oh, I don't want to be in a movie like that. So he was at a party just thinking about it and looking sad. And this tall guy comes over to him and he's like, you're just sitting by yourself. Is everything okay? And Spielberg starts talking about, oh, this is the movie I'm making. I'm having all these troubles. And I just really need this character to hold the thing together to be the glue. And this guy, a young man by the name of Roy Scheider, just turns to him and says, I'm an actor? You've seen The French Connection? Cast me! And so he did. That's a nice story. Isn't it? And it's just because he was checking on him because he was worried that he looked sad. Roy Scheider's got heart. He does. And as far as I know, he was sober during the the filming of the first job. Which is not something you can say for everyone. No. Uh, Especially, hmm. Who would you say was the drunkest actor on Jaws? Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I blew something in my throat. Uh, Robert Shaw! (laughs) That's right. Yeah, the brilliant speech about um, the... The USS Indianapolis. The USS Indianapolis. Uh, he had to redo it the second day because he was so drunk he couldn't act the first day. Yeah, and they were pissed at him. Oh, yeah, they were. And especially uh, Dreyfus, who hated it. They hated each other. Yeah. Which comes across beautifully on screen. The next day he came back and did one of, I would say, my second favorite speech in film history. Yeah. So that's pretty freaking good. Has black eyes like a doll's eyes. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. R.I.P. Robert Shaw. Yeah. Yeah, if you heard that siren in the background, it was coming for the career of Robert Shaw and his death. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's very hard to find a quiet room in this apartment. Yes, I'm in my basement, so that helps. Oh man. Well, there's more closet space in the new in the new apartment, and <sighs> this is actually the listeners, not that you care, but this is the last recording I'm doing in our one-bedroom apartment. I care. Aw. We're moving downstairs to a two-bedroom. Because um, we don't, we just don't know where we'd put a baby in this house. So. And this is an amazing thing about you becoming a parent. You can teach your child never see Charles the Revenge. No. I am She's trying to figure mom. out how old they need to be before, like, and try to get them to memorize uh, salt and pepper soup. <laughs> uh, I think eighteen months is when you start on that. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be great. So did you have, before we move on to our personal, further into our personal opinions about this film, uh, did you have any more fun facts? Um, you, know, you really got most of them. I just have so many vitriolic things to say. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Time to turn on the bitch switch. What makes this movie bad, David? Well, I started my notes in it, and here is the notes ending with something I've already said. Writing, directing, editing, and why does this shark look so bad? Because mm. um, the original Jaws had amazing, iconic moments. It's the moment with Chief Brody and his kid, where they're just making faces at each other at the dinner table while Ellen Brody is watching from behind. And Chief Brody leads into his kid and says, give us a kiss. Why? And that started with them improvising, him and the kid just playing, they ran there. And what a brilliant moment. And so what they do then is they have the last starfighter try to do it with his kid while showing flashbacks to the original. Talk about a way to completely eliminate any emotional stakes. I understand you're trying to reference what happened before, but by directly showing it, you're just showing that you don't have the same quality of interaction. That Roy Scheider had built an actual relationship with the kid. And it's just throwing two people on set saying, hey, try to be sweet like that thing. It doesn't work. No, I think I audibly groaned during that part. Oh, yeah. I, I think I could hear you from across the city of Milwaukee. <laughs> um, another thing. The original movie had stakes. Mm-hmm. 
gaze is tons of people in the water and the suspense of will they survive or not. And this one is too focused on a small group versus the shark, which makes the stakes feel really insane. Yes, Ellen Brody's son is killed, and there's one woman at the beach. But remember the original, and Amity being thrown open by the mayor, and seeing hundreds of people crowding the beaches, all the ships out there to protect them, and they know they can't. Yeah. There is palpable stakes. And here it's just like, oh no, it's us versus the creature. Yeah. Which the second half of Jaws did after it established real stakes. It was very, Jaws 1 was very much um, the, sanct- the sanctity of human life versus the bottom line. Yes. And I would argue that um, the mayor is the actual villain. Oh, absolutely. And it's so much better than the book. I have read the book. I do not like the book. I, you're not the first one to say that. I've never read the book. I just know that um, there's a completely unnecessary affair plot line in there. Yes, there is. Hmm. Um, yeah, between, uh, God, I'm not remembering Hooper? the characters right now. Yeah, Hooper and Mrs. Brody. Oh. And not only that, they go to a seafood restaurant, and he's talking about his love of scalps, but how scared he is to order them, because often it'll cut rounds out of other fish and sell the scalps, and he gets it, and he's so sad. I don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. I like small details, but it's not well written. There's a reason that Peter Benchley wrote three drafts of the original script and had to hand it off, because I, I can't do this. I just can't. And it's almost like you need a real writer. Yes. And when you rush, you can't do that. Mm-mm. Oh. Uh, let's see. What else? It was boring. Um, yeah. Michael Small. We need to talk about Michael Small. He's the composer on this film. Mm-hmm. He is also an incredibly talented composer. He did the original Stepford Wives. He did Marathon Man. But the original score is so iconic that we all have one sound we associate with sharks, with that cello solo and then the... Um, so him trying to emulate it, especially when they have a few small clips of the original, it just feels like a pale imitation. And I don't begrudge Michael Small. He was put into a thankless position yeah. of having to copy one of the greatest scores of all time and one of John Williams' first Oscars, for that matter. Of his, what, 23 he has or something? Mm-hmm. Same like that? He has a lot of Oscars. He has so many Oscars. And neither of us has a single one. What the heck? I know. <clears throat> so he, I think you covered a lot of my criticism. Because I have boring. <laughs> banking on archival footage and shallow recreations of iconic scenes. And the shark looks cheap AF. Mm. So, so So cheap. cheap. I, knowing, though, about Mario Van Peebles writing his own, which I'm so glad he brought that up, uh, because I love learning new things, it makes the scenes where he's trying to convince the last starfighter to stop worrying about the snails for a couple of days to do this, because there's never been a shark like this in these waters, and it can be such a major impact and such uh, a useful bit of scientific research. Of course, he wants the money for it, too, but he's talking about how much it can change the world of uh, marine biology. And he's eloquent and actually makes good points. I would be convinced, too. Yeah. I feel like Mario Van Peebles should have just written this whole fucking movie. He absolutely should have. They should have delayed it a year, let him rewrite it, and build a real shark. Yeah. And then shown it less. He's, like, don't let, like, his, like, big dumb action star thing, like, put people off. He's a very talented person. He is. And I know there's people that are mixed on it, but I quite enjoyed uh, the movie Panther that he directed. I know there's some debate on it. I thought it was great. Yeah. I also haven't seen it since I was a teenager. I have no idea what adult eyes would think, but as a teenager, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. So here's a little a bit of a tricky part. We're going to talk about uh, some of the things you liked about the movie. Okay. Mario Van Peebles. Yes. Uh, Michael Caine. So, so next, next segment. <laughs> No, I mean the thing is they were trying to build up the flirtation between Michael Caine and um, and Mrs. Brody, and the thing is he is charming. He is always charming, and she is certainly not a bad actress either, though perhaps overutilized her in the smaller role in the original really fit because she had a really great natural chemistry with Roy Scheider. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have that same natural chemistry with Michael Caine. No, so you see them, and there's there's some good moments, but it's just not connecting. And then you look at the last Starfighter and Mario Van Peebles, where you believe it is a true relationship. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me, 
when I had said, when I was going over the summary and I said that, talked about the part where Ellen goes off into the boat to save the day, um, I skipped over in the fun facts. That was supposed to be, or that is what her husband wanted for the ending of the second movie. And I believe it was the director of Jaws 2 that told him, point blank, over my dead body. He's like, over my dead body, now I'm going to go direct Supergirl. <laughs> 1984. But yeah, her her husband really, really loved her. Yeah. And really wanted her to like have her moment in the sun. Yeah, and that, that's lovely. I, I don't blame you for that. No. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm shooting a perfect concept for a movie right now in my... Mongolia was a hand double for one of the actresses. It was a beautiful moment. She did some great hand acting. Mm-hmm. So clearly there's an Oscar in her future. <laughs> so what do you think, going over all the things you hate about this movie, that you dislike, what would you say the biggest sin this movie committed is? Absolutely. It's one I haven't even brought up yet. Mm. It's the editing. The editing. It is frenetic at best. The opening shark attack scene I'd say the average shot length is maybe two-thirds of a second, which is like, it's, it's like the Transformers movies. It gives you no sense of space. You don't know where you are. It's just, oh, scary image, scary image, scary image. But they're not scary if you don't know where you are and you don't know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, the editing on this was terrible, which I place on the editor and the director equally. I believe that's both of their faults. Because you look again at the regular Jaws and they don't have cuts like that. I'm not saying everything should be a 20-minute long take or anything like that, but establish where you are. Three seconds is long enough to know where you are. Mm -hmm. Two-thirds of a second repeated over and over and over, not at all. So it took me out of the movie that early. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the movie's biggest sin was the fact that they uh, just couldn't take um, Scheider's name out their mouth. Mm. We have... Absolutely. They have the big, gigantic, glamour shot portrait of him in um, his in, at, at the police station. Um, they so much archival footage. So, so much archival much. footage using like fucking cheap ass Instagram sepia. <laughs> and what the whole movie was like ninety seven minutes or something. I think he might have had a full five minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. Close to it. He had more than his son who's killed by the shark does. And he didn't want any screen time. Yeah. But they own that footage, so they can do what they wanted. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, they can bite me. Yeah. You know what? Because it makes you realize how much better the first one was that they have to emulate it. Get rid of all of that. You know, keep the glamour shot hold. That's fine. Don't do any of the rest and let the movie stand on its own, because it would actually be better without that direct comparison. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you're dead on for that. That's a great point. Thank you. You're welcome. So now comes the part where we rate the movie, and we're going to rate it on a scale of shark teeth. Five shark okay. teeth. How many? Uh, my shark needs dentures because it's gumming. It's gummy. It's gumming all the way. <laughs> Is that zero out of five? Zero. Zero out of five. Okay. What a waste of film. What a waste of talent. All what right. a waste of even untalented people, for that matter. <laughs> I, I'm going to give it a one out of five. For Michael Caine buying a house? For Michael Caine buying a house, because I am all <laughs> for him living his best life forever. I love him so much. <laughs> and also because of uh, the 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 love story, the unspoken love story between Peebles and uh, Starfighter. You know what? Based on that, I will give it a half a shark tooth. I think you're right. Their their connection, and obviously we played it romantic, but even as on a friendship level, is actually well done and well acted with real ones too. So I'll give them a half a shark tooth. Yeah. Okay. So we are just about ready to wrap up this episode. Mm. We are actually before we uh, plug the. Unless, and before I have, give you some time to plug your projects, do you mind if I read some of the reviews to Jaws the Revenge? Oh, God, that would make me so happy. Okay. I'm going to pull it up. <laughs> so, Gatlin, this is the thing where it seems really short to the listeners, but I'm going to take a second because I have to pull up a review site. Boop, boop, boop. And oh. this part moves really fast. Please don't forget to edit this out. This would be really weird to have in the actual show. Please get rid of me. Please. Oh, God. Gatlin, save me. <laughs> bloop, bloop. Um, okay. Uh, 
So this is from Brian Costello from Common Sense Media. Mm-hmm. Okay. Parents need to know that Jaws the Revenge is the fourth movie in the Jaws series released in 1987. This is everything the original Jaws movie was not. Boring, pointless, and astoundingly bad in every way. <laughs> <laughs> so that was him. And that was just like the parent rating. Like, here's what your kid needs to know about this movie. He also went on to say, Jaws the Revenge may well very may very well be the dullest and most pointless sequel ever made. It has none of the redeeming qualities that made the original Jaws such a classic movie. One out of five. Nice. Uh, and actually, I just found something, Mandy. Huh? Roger Ebert's review of Jaws the Revenge. Let's hear it. Jaws the Revenge is not simply a bad movie, but also a stupid and incompetent one, a ripoff. And that's a surprise because the film is the fourth in the series that has served Universal Pictures long and well and stars Lorraine Gray, the wife of the studio's chief executive officer. Wasn't there someone in charge of assuring that the film was at least a passable thriller, however bad? I guess not. The plot centers on the character of Ellen Brody, who, you may recall, was the wife of the Roy Scheider character in the first and second Jaws movies. Now she's a widow, and her son has his dad's old job at the police department. The story opens at Christmas, as the son is eaten by a shark right off Martha's Vineyard, while a children's choir drowns out his screams with Christmas carols. Mrs. Brody, Gary, flees in horror to the Bahamas, where her other son, the last starfighter, works as, you got it, a marine biologist. She pleads with him not to go into the water, but he argues that the great white shark has never been seen in warm waters. Not long after, the shark is seen, having made the trip from Martha's Vineyard to the Bahamas in three days. Mrs. Brody, meanwhile, falls in love with the local pilot, Michael Kine, and there's a subplot about how her son is jealous of this new man in his life. His jealousy, like every other plot device in the movie, is left unresolved at the end, but so what? The screenplay is simply a series of meaningless episodes of human behavior punctuated by shark attacks. Since we see so much of the shark in the movie, you'd think they would have built some good ones. They've had three earlier pictures for practice, but in some scenes, the shark's skin looks like canvas with acne, and on others, all we see is an obviously fake shark's head with lots of teeth. The shark models have so little movement that at times, they seem to be supporting themselves on boats instead of attacking. Up until the ludicrous final sequence of the movie, the scariest creature in the film is an eel. What happens at the end? Ellen Brody has become convinced that the shark is following her. It wants revenge against her entire family. Her friends poo-poo the notion and that a shark could identify, follow, or even care about one individual human being, but I'm willing to grant the point for the benefit of the plot. I believe that the shark wants revenge against Mrs. Brody. I do. I really do believe it. After all, her husband was one of the men who hunted the shark and killed it, blowing it to bits. And what shark wouldn't want revenge on the survivors of the men who killed it? <laughs> I love Roger Ebert. Oh, there's more. There's more. Okay. Here are some things, that, I, however, that I do not believe. That Mrs. Brody could be haunted by flashbacks to events when she was not present at that. In some cases, no survivors witnessed. That the movie would give us one shark attack as a dream sequence, have the hero wake up in a sweat, then give us a second shark attack, and then cut to the hero awake in bed, giving us the only thing worse than the old, it's only a dream routine, which is the old, is it a dream or not routine? That Mrs. Brody would commandeer a boat and sail out alone to the ocean to sacrifice herself to the shark so that the killing could end. Kane's character could or would crash land his airplane at sea so that he and two other men could swim to Mrs. Brody's rescue. That after being trapped trapped in a sinking airplane by the shark and disappearing under the water, Kane could survive the attack, swim to the boat, and climb on board. Not only completely unhurt, but also wearing a shirt and pants that are not even wet. That the shark would stand on its tail in the water long enough for the boat to ram it. That the director, Joseph Sargent, would film this entire climactic scene so incompetently that there is not even an establishing shot, so we have to figure out what happened on the basis of empirical evidence. There's one other thing I cannot believe about Jaws the Revenge, and that is that on March 30th, Michael Caine passed up his chance to accept his Academy Award in person because of his commitment to this movie. Maybe he was thinking the same thing as a marine biologist in the movie. If you don't go right back in the water after something terrible happens to you, you might be too afraid to ever go back in. Damn. Few people could eviscerate like Mr. Roger Ebert. Yeah. I love the man. I'm not even going to read any more reviews because... <laughs> I can't top that, <laughs> but yeah, it, it it was. I I feel like it's it it's safe to say this movie was universally hated. Yes. Okay. So if some, you find if you find someone that likes this movie, stop being friends with them. Okay. They are just wrong in all things in life. Like I I don't usually say this, you guys, because I hate about being dramatic and like giving people like ultimatums. But if you're listening to this and you're my Facebook friend and you say, it's not that bad, unfriend me. <laughs> and this is an important time to point out that we enjoy hyperbole and of course people have their own opinions. 
opinions. Yes. <laughs> just, just, just not this opinion. No, no. <laughs> just re-examine We're, your life. <laughs> yeah, you know, talk to your therapist about your love of Jaws to Revenge. Mm-hmm. You will be medicated. <laughs> so, David, um, do you have any fun things that you're doing that you want to talk about? Well, sure. Uh, I'm in the process of shooting what I'm calling a proof of concept for a film. Um, I'm working on my first feature film with a couple of co-producer friends and a co-writer of mine. Um, but what we're doing is kind of a mini trailer proof of concept, which we're having to do in the middle of a pandemic. So many of the scenes are being shot by actors on their own at their own homes without having anyone else to interact with and all the scenes being designed so they can't be in the same shot at once. Um, and then I'm shooting some people in the woods from a safe distance. Uh, but it's a film called Christina 27, which, and we've been working on this since well before the pandemic, deals with uh, anxiety and social isolation. Um, so we're putting this together and hoping to have it out in a couple of months to try to raise some funds to shoot the entire movie. I, we are low budget, which means $100,000, which sounds terrifying to me and to an actual professional movie person. Sounds like pocket change. So give us your pocket change, please. And hopefully Christmas 27 will be getting wrapped up sometime next year. Yeah, let's hope. I'm very excited to see it. Ever since um, I read some of the sides, I'm like, oh, I really want to watch this. You. So I guess I don't have much to plug today. Except for my brother Gatlin's podcast, The Roaring Trainers. The Roaring Trainers, a real play 5e D&D podcast set in the Pokemon world, Kanto in the Jazz Age, with mature themes, funny jokes, and sometimes dark storylines. The Roaring Trainers is for those of us who grew up on Pokemon and are looking for a Pokemon adventure that grew up with us. They are recently back from hiatus. They took a little bit of a break, and they are better than ever. They post their um, episodes bi-weekly, so you can catch The Roaring Trainers wherever you listen to podcasts. Ooh. Yeah. So, that being said, if you liked this episode and you would like to see more episodes, could you also please give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and our Instagram and Twitter handles are at punfortunate pod. In addition, if you really, really, really love us and would like us to get money and merch and money for merch, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever they ask you to rate your podcast. That This, this enables us to be seen and uh, to just get some playing around money. So is there anything else you'd like to add, David? Um, just that at all times listen to everything Mandy has to say. She's an amazing, perfect human being. So listen to all her things. Oh, thank you. Now, David, before we close out, I know we said that we would not be able to sing that song, but I know you wrote a few of your own lyrics. <laughs> I improvised. You imp- um, so if I also tried not to use the melody line, uh, it would become... Guide me to the path of my domicile. <laughs> I'm sleepy. I'm craving unconsciousness. I imbibed a drink totally ty- uh, 60 Nine minutes ago. ago. <laughs> and it seems to have affected my equilibrium. Hey! <laughs> yeah. I am actually a better songwriter than that, I promise. But, you know, sometimes you are. have to goof around. So, <laughs> <laughs> if there's nothing else, I guess we're just going to have to say goodbye for the evening. I'm hoping... Gatlin, if you're editing, please let me do more of these episodes because it is fun and I do like that you respect my need to be a creepy piece of shit. (laughs) All right. This has been uh, Unfortunate Sequels Podcast. I am Mandy and... I am David. Watch out for shark attacks. All right. Bye-bye.